Good morning, everyone. Yom Tov. Good Erev Shabbos. In this week's parsha of Vayishlach, there appears an entire section of the parsha which apparently is completely irrelevant to us. So much so that all the Mephorshim ask, why is it included? That parsha, which appears, that section which appears at the end of the parsha, uh, describes uh, the kingdom of Seir, Edom, of Aesop. And it lists who the kings were. And it covers hundreds of years. And it says that all of this happened before uh, the monarchy was established amongst the Jewish people, before Shaul HaMelech. So we're talking about a period of time from uh, Esau, Yaakov and Esau. We're not getting any sound. <laughs> All right, we'll start again for uh, the Zoomers. There's an entire section of the Parsha uh, that uh, deals with the kingdom of Esau, of Seir, of Edom, for the centuries from the time of Yaakov and Esau uh, until the time of... Uh, the monarchy being established in the land of Israel by the Jewish people. And the question obviously is, what does the Torah intend to teach us here? Why does the Torah include all of this? So to speak, who cares? And how do we relate it to uh, anything that appears in the Torah. Now we have uh, many times questions about uh, verses, words, or even subjects that are included in the Torah that uh, perplex us. What are they doing there? For instance, the story of the five kings and the four kings at the time of Avraham Avinu. So there all the Mephorshim said all of that is a preface because the Torah wanted to tell us about Lot and that Avraham is going to save Lot and Lot nevertheless is going to desert Avraham and move to Zdom, etc. So that this picture of the wars of the kings is, so to speak, a necessary backdrop or introduction to understanding the relationship between Avram and Lot. But here, in this uh, section of the Parsha, which, discur- which discusses the kings of Esau, there seemingly is no... Uh, 
connection to anything. And it's just a jumble of uh, names and places which are not really known to us. It's hard to identify. So what is this partial all about? Now, in the, in the Talmud, you have uh, many times in the Talmud that the Talmud discusses a certain subject and there's a back and forth of questions and responses and then the Torah, then the Talmud concludes Kasha that's a good question it doesn't answer the question it keeps on going to many times to a different topic completely the uh, commentators to the Talmud say that whenever the Talmud says kasha, it's a good question, it means there's an answer. But they just don't want to go into the answer. They don't want to discuss what the response was. They want you to know that it was a good question. And uh, if you think about it, you'll come up with answers. However, there are times that the Talmud says to Yufta. That means it's a question that is unanswerable. It proves the point. It breaks the other opinion completely. And when the Gemara says to Yufta, so then we're already discussing that that's what the halacha must be. Here, this is in the realm of kasha. It's a question. What's it doing here? What is the Torah teaching us? But it's not a teyufta. It doesn't in any way negate anything in the Torah. So there are a number of different approaches to this problem. I don't think you'll find any of them really satisfactory because uh, the question is that many times in life the question is stronger than any answer that can be given. After all the answers, the question still remains. But they will give us certain insights into uh, how the Torah portrays things why it does so, and what we can learn from it. And that itself is a valuable lesson. And then we have the famous statement of the Rajbah of Rabbeinu Shlomo ben Adaret, who in one of his rabbinic responses wrote, Tachlit he shaloneda. The ultimate purpose of knowing is that we don't know. That at the end we are always left with uh, unopened doors, uh, ideas that have yet to be clarified, concepts that have yet to be uh, 
concretized. It's unfinished. And that's the pursuit of knowledge. And that's why the study of the Torah is limitless, because there's always a piece left over. You never get to the end of it. So let's uh, think about uh, a few ways in which we can deal with these, this parsha regarding the kings of Edom and Seir, the descendants of Asaph. The first approach, which is uh, the uh, approach of Pshat, the Torah uh, told us that our father Yitzchak gave blessings to both Yaakov and Esau. From the blessings, we could construe that blessings cannot apply at the same time to both of them. We can say that when Yaakov is on top, Esau has no blessings. And when Esau uh, rules, then the blessings of Yaakov are hidden. They're not apparent. And that is pretty much the pshat, uh, that the way uh, we look at the, the words of Yitzchak. Your brother will go down, so then you'll go up. It's like a balance scale. If it's heavier on one side, the other one goes up. But it is not, uh, they are, don't happen at the same time that both can be blessed. So the Torah wanted to emphasize that that this is the adjustment between the two. And how did the Torah emphasize that? So they showed us that for a number of centuries, Esau is on top. The Jewish people are enslaved in Egypt. The Jewish people come to the land of Israel, and they're fractured into 12 different tribes. They're constantly making war with the Philistines and with the Canaanites. They haven't got their act together. So they're down. So during this entire process, until the Jewish people put it together with the beginning of the reign of King Saul and then of King David and the building of the base of Middash, with King Solomon and the establishment of the Judean and Davidic monarchy. So then the Jewish people rise. So when they rise, now we're not going to hear from Esau for a long time. Esau will make a comeback with Edom, with Rome. But for centuries, Esau is out of the picture. Because Yaakov is in the picture. So that, therefore, the Torah is teaching us here uh, that these words of Yitzchak are to be taken literally. 
that when one side is strong, the other side perforce must be weakened. They do not coexist equally. Now, uh, this is a uh, viewpoint that uh, I don't think is popular amongst us. We would like, uh, why? Why uh, Just because, uh, you know, uh, this country is big and successful, so the other country has to be unsuccessful. So uh, in our exalted uh, definition of fairness, so uh, we would uh, not be happy with that. But the Torah tells us in advance that that is not how the world works. It's Malachi Elohim Olim Viordimbo. The angels that represent the nations of the world go up the ladder and go down the ladder. They don't stay in one place. There's constant flux. And therefore there are those that are always in the ascendancy. And when they are climbing the ladder, others have to be descending the ladder. And their time will come that they will also have to descend because others will then climb the ladder and ascend. So that this is a lesson uh, to how to understand what Yitzchak said to Yaakov and Esau. Yitzchak said to Yaakov and Esau, when Yaakov is on top, Esau won't be. And when Esau is on top, Yaakov won't be. And that this, there is this constant struggle, which began in the womb of their mother, and continues throughout all of the story of human civilization till our time. That's one way of looking at it. That's one stream. Second stream, which is very interesting especially uh, the uh, commentators from Provence and Austria. So we're talking about the early Middle Ages, the high Middle Ages, when uh, philosophy was uh, not only accepted, but it was uh, the paramount study. And when all religious faiths had to be adjusted to fit into philosophic definitions and terms. But the Rambam uh, uh, did it for us in the Mora Nebuchim and 